Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady and greetings from Norway. We are shifting in our summer readings series and shifting to the book Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. We will return in future episodes to Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but now we will spend a little bit of time gleaning from some very rich and provoking reading from this uh, book. So I wanted to alert you to that. I hope that you are taking time also to share the podcast with others. And one of the things, if you really believe what we're doing here on Tent Talk Podcast and in Nancy McCready Ministries is worth uh, something, if you find it valuable to you, then maybe you would find it valuable to share with others. We want to ask that you would take about two minutes of your life and that you would not only share us on social media, but that you would also take time to give us a five-star rating and to write a review. Whenever this begins to happen more and more, then uh, uh, tech algorithms and all of that begin to pick us up more and help us to get the message out. So could we be just a little bit more savvy in a proper way to get the message out that you would take the time? I know there are many of you out there that you could take time to write a one, two, three sentence review, post it, uh, give us a five-star rating, and this will help Tent Talk Podcast to be picked up and moved into more areas where people can see us on uh, platforms and within social media worlds, if you will. So could you do that for us? I would greatly appreciate it and enjoy this next section of summer readings. Love you all. All right, wanting this to be a very fresh episode, so please, again, ignore all the wonderful background noises as I'm here in the Hotel Vavil Queen, uh, here just not too far off of the beautiful city center of Krakow, Poland. So we have had uh, a great time uh, here with our dear friends Dan and Jan Dunn talking about things, new doors opening, enjoying fellowship, talking about future uh, opportunities together, uh, just many, many great things and lots of wonderful laughter, which you need (laughs) so very much. So being with what I would consider true leaders, people who are entering in for themselves and becoming big open doors for other people, it's only fitting that today in our summer readings series out of the book Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, and just making uh, a note uh, that Dan will be one of our guest readers for future episodes. I don't know exactly when, but he definitely will be. So here we go, chapter three, the master's master principle. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Mark ten forty three forty four. Given the importance of competent leaders in the church and in business and government too, we might expect that the Bible would use the term more often. 
In fact, the King James Bible, on which many of my generation have been nurtured, uses the term leader only six times. Much more frequently, the role is called servant. We do not read about Moses, my leader, but Moses, my servant. And this is exactly what Christ taught. Jesus was a revolutionary, not in the guerrilla warfare sense, but in his teaching on leadership. The term servant speaks everywhere of low prestige, low respect, low honor. Most people are not attracted to such a low value role. When Jesus used the term, however, it was a synonym for greatness. And that was a revolutionary idea. Christ taught that the kingdom of God was a community where each member served the other. Paul wrote in the same vein in Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Our loving service should spread also to the needy world around us, but in most churches, a few people carry the load. Jesus knew that the idea of leader as loving servant of all would not appeal to most people. Securing our own creature comforts is a much more common mission, but servant is his requirement for those who want to lead in his kingdom. The sharp contrast between our common ideas about leadership and the revolution Jesus announced is nowhere clearer than in Mark 10, 42-43. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. Close quote. And let me just add here, I have written in my notes that it is okay to want to become great. <laughs> that Jesus didn't say you shouldn't want to become great. He just said whoever wants to become great among you then must serve. Right? So very, very good. Back to reading. This was such a revolutionary idea that even those closest to Jesus, the disciples James and John, used their ambitious mother in a scheme to secure top positions in the coming kingdom before the other ten received their due. These two disciples took very seriously Jesus' promise about sitting on glorious thrones and judging the tribes of Israel, Matthew 19:28. But they misunderstood how to get there. Despite their friendship, Jesus did not give an inch to their campaign for office. In Matthew 20, 22, his reply to them was, You don't know what you are asking. James and John wanted the glory, but not the cup of shame. The crown, but not the cross. The role of master, but not servant. Jesus used this occasion to teach two principles of leadership that the church must never forget. One, the sovereignty of spiritual leadership. In Mark 10:40, it says, To sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. A more common response might have been, Honor and rank is for those who have pre prepared themselves for it and worked very hard to get it. But here we see the fundamental difference in Jesus' teaching and our human ideas. God assigns places of spiritual ministry and leadership in his sovereign will. The Good News Bible translates verse 40, It is God who will give these places to those for whom he has prepared them. 
Effective spiritual leadership does not come as a result of theological training or seminary degree, as important as education is. Jesus told his disciples in John 15:16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. The sovereign selection of God gives great confidence to Christian workers. We can truly say, I am here neither by selection of an individual nor election of a group, but by the almighty appointment of God. Second, the suffering of spiritual leadership. In Mark 10, verse 38, Jesus said, Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Well, no hedging here, no dodging the hard realities. Jesus simply and honestly set forth the cost of serving in his kingdom. The task was magnificent and difficult. Men and women leading in that task must have eyes wide open and hearts willing to follow the Master all the way. To the Lord's probing question, the disciples responded glibly, We are able. What tragic lack of perspective. But Jesus knew what lay ahead. They would indeed drink the cup and know the baptism. James would be executed, and John would finish his days in isolated confinement. If the disciples figured to learn about leadership on the fast track and with appropriate perks and bonuses, Jesus soon disillusioned them. What a shock it was to discover that greatness comes through servanthood and leadership through becoming a slave of all. Only once in all the recorded words of Jesus did our Lord announce that he would provide an example for the disciples, and then he washed their feet. John 13, 15. Only once in the rest of the New Testament does a writer offer an example, 1 Peter 2.21, and that is an example of suffering. Serving and suffering are paired in the teaching and life of our Lord. One does not come without the other, and what servant is greater than the Lord? Jesus' teaching on servanthood and suffering was not intended merely to inspire good behavior. Jesus wanted to impart the spirit of servanthood, the sense of personal commitment and identity that he expressed when he said, I am among you as he who serves. Luke twenty-two twenty-seven. Mere acts of service could be performed with motives far from spiritual. In Isaiah 42, we read about the attitudes and inner motives that the coming Messiah would demonstrate as the ideal servant of the Lord. Where Israel failed to live up to this ideal, the Messiah would succeed, and the principles of his life would be a pattern for ours. So here now the content of reading begins to list um, certain uh, characteristics uh, of Jesus. So I'll have a few comments as we go through. And the number one characteristic of his life is dependence. Isaiah 42.1, here is my servant whom I uphold. This verse speaks of the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy by emptying himself of divine prerogative. He made himself nothing, Philippians 2.7. He surrendered the privileges of his God nature and became dependent on his heavenly Father. He fully identified himself with our humanity. What a staggering paradox. As we become empty of self and dependent on God, the Holy Spirit will use us. 
the next characteristic of his life, approval. Isaiah 42, 1 again, my chosen one in whom I delight. God took great delight in his servant Jesus, and that delight was reciprocal. In another Old Testament reference to the coming Messiah, the Son testifies, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Psalm 40, verse 8. Here I would like to share that this delight is something you must know for yourself that the Father has in you. I always remember Joshua and Caleb when the other ten spies uh, were like, we can't do this, we're just grasshoppers in our own eyes. And Joshua and Caleb were like, but if God delights in us, we can do it, right? And so knowing that there is approval in who you are as the new man, that the Father made you, and so therefore, of course, he is pleased with who you are. This doesn't mean that he approves of every single behavior or choice or, you know, what it means is that who you are, that he has made himself in Christ, uh, is approved. And you are someone in whom he delights. And it is to be reciprocal. I think this is the most important point here, is that Jesus also delighted in the Father. So this is very, very important. The next characteristic of his life that is mentioned is modesty. J. Oswald Sanders goes on to quote Isaiah 42, verse 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. So he's neither strident nor flamboyant. God's servant conducts a ministry that appears almost self-effacing. What a contrast to the arrogant self-advertising of so many uh, hypesters today, both in and out of the church. On this very point, the devil tempted Jesus, urging him to attempt a headline-grabbing leap from the rooftop of the temple in Matthew 4, verse 5. But Jesus did not seek headlines and did not fall to the plot. So quiet and unobtrusive is the great servant's work that many today doubt his very existence. Jesus exemplified the description of God found later in Isaiah, 45 verse 15. Truly you are a God who hides himself. This quality seems to be shared among all the hosts of heaven, even the picture given to us of the cherubim, God's angel servants, use four of their six wings to conceal their faces and feet. They too are content with hidden service. Isaiah 6 verse 2. The next characteristic of his life, empathy. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Isaiah 42, verse 3. The Lord's servant is sympathetic with the weak, mercifully understanding toward those who err. How often do people who fail wear the tread marks of fellow pilgrims? But the ideal servant, Jesus, does not run over the weak and failing. He mends bruises and fans the weak spirit into a flame. Many of us, even Christian workers, see a person whose life is a wreck and pass by on the other side. We seek a ministry more rewarding and worthy of our talents than bearing up the frail side of humanity. But from God's point of view, it is noble work to reclaim the world's downtrodden people. How dimly Peter's own wick burned in the judgment hall, but what a blaze on the day of Pentecost. God's ideal servant made that miserable man's life a brilliant flame. Oh, is there so much to say here? And I would say here that more empathetic 
because I can't sympathize with flesh, but we can empathize with the person, right? And this is because the Lord has so empathized with us. He became us. He became sin. There is no one that knows us like him. Yet that doesn't cause him to embrace flesh and sin and make light of it or condone it or normalize it. Oh no, he has slaughtered sin and paid its price so that we can get up and live uh, plan A and live as who he originally made us to be. And we see this so very powerfully. So I just want to read these words again. How encouraging. Where it says, How dimly Peter's own wick burned in the judgment hall. But what a blaze on the day of Pentecost. God's ideal servant, Jesus, made that miserable man's life a brilliant flame. Now the next characteristic J. Oswald calls optimism, but any of you that know me know that I don't believe in being an optimist, but I'm going to read what's here and then make a comment, okay, because we don't want to split hairs, do we, right? But sometimes um, it's important for the, the point of view that we're bringing. So J. Oswald says, quoting Isaiah 42, 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Pessimism and leadership are at opposite ends of life's attitudes. Hope and optimism are essential qualities for the servant of God who battles with the powers of darkness over the souls of men and women. God's ideal servant is optimistic until every part of God's work is done. So what J. Oswald and I agree on is here he means when he talks about optimism and he attributes that to Jesus is that we would never give up hope. Why? Because the whole hope of glory is Christ in us. I would submit to you that eternalism is the hope of Christ in you because eternalism is the view of God. Optimism can eventually wear out, just meaning you're trying to stay positive. But when you come, if you will, to the positive of eternalism, you are coming into the place of that which God himself has done, what he has made, which shall never pass away. So I just wanted to quickly just make note of that. The next characteristic is anointing. Isaiah 42, verse 1, again, I will put my spirit on him. None of these leadership qualities, dependence, approval, modesty, empathy, or optimism are sufficient for the task. Without the touch of the supernatural, these qualities are dry as dust. And so the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon and dwell in. So let me just say here, as born-again believers, the Holy Spirit dwells in us as he dwelt in the ideal servant. Acts 10, 37 and 38. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good. Jesus' ministry began when the Spirit descended at his baptism and then how the servant, Jesus, began to shake the world. So, are we greater than our Lord? Can we do effective ministry without the Spirit of God working through us at every step? God offers us the same anointing. May we follow close to the great servant and receive the Spirit who shows us more of the Master. So, again, so many things that I could comment, but let me just leave this here, and you can do the reading yourself and let the Spirit of God speak to you.
So we'll see where we go in the next episodes to come, if we continue in spiritual leadership, if we go back into life together, or maybe we'll step into something else. So stay with me, my friends, and most definitely, and ever so much more, stay with him. Love you all. We're headed off to Ustran to open up Cross Encounter tonight. Pray with us for those that are coming, that they will see the Father and choose him and take their seat at his table. Love you all. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.